Welcome to Americana Quill, writer to writer. Please like and subscribe and tell a friend that likes to subscribe. Today I have a, the pleasure of talking to a young man that I've known since college and he chooses a career, he chose a career path that I believe is similar to a motivational speaker as both mediums of writing forces you to try and keep the attention of an audience. You might've guessed from what I'm already saying, but yes, he chose to become a comedian. Ladies and gentlemen, I wanna welcome uh, uh, athlete of my, that I played with and playing lacrosse, Kyle Alberti. How you doing, man? What's going on? How are you? I'm good. I'm good, man. I'm just, you know, happy to do this. I'm happy you had had time for us, you know, to do this podcast. Although I'm still new at it, I'm it's glad you know. To be on the show. No, thank you, man. Yeah, so, what made you choose? I guess the the path of wanting to become a comedian. I guess because. When you go to like a serious school like we did, you don't think of like maybe making that a career path. So like, what made you choose that? Right, um, man, I, I have had tried doing different things. Like after college, I went to college mainly for sports. Um, mm -hmm. After that, I just tried, I actually tried out for a few semi-pro hockey teams. Didn't work out for me. Um, I kind of bounced around from there, trying different jobs different opportunities that I that came my way and didn't really work out. And then uh, I was actually growing medical marijuana up in Maine for about a year with a partner, but then it uh, ended up flipping around when they switched the laws to recreational. I got cut as a partner to as an employee, and that, that's not what I left my first job for. So I mm. was at a very low point in my life, and I just honestly – reevaluated everything that I wanted to do and uh, what I really enjoy doing is just making people laugh even though we have uh, a really messed up world right now uh, we all need yeah. an outlet somewhere so um, I just thought where do most comedians strive right in our lowest lows so I said fuck it let's get true. on stage no that's that's beautiful man because you're a very optimistic person, so to hear that you felt this way is very interesting to me, for sure. Like, even when we played yeah, lacrosse, like, if there's... Stay positive. Right, you always try to find, like, the 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 good side of things, like, you know? So, like, it's interesting that all these obstacles came to you, and you felt like you had to pivot so many times, which is interesting to me. So, thank yeah, you for even sharing um, that, because I'm sure that's not easy, but I'm sure you bear yourself as a comedian on stage all the time, so this isn't... The first time you probably spoke about it for sure. No, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, being a comedian definitely helps with an outlet to speak my mind, but also let people in on my life as well. But shedding light and being able to laugh about it, it helps me heal as well as face these problems head on. Right. So you kind of answered my first question, but I guess. A part, a part of the first question I had that you probably didn't answer yet is, with limited places to perform and stay sharp, is like, what are you doing right now to like keep your uh, comedic timing, I guess, going? Right. I've tried some Zoom shows at the beginning of the COVID quarantines, and oh, God. it just doesn't have the same feel, man. It was terrible. <laughs> yeah. A lot of, like, uh, um, bigger bigger names, not that you're not a big name, but a lot of, like, veterans, I, I guess is the better word to use, 
they said they tried it maybe one time and they felt like it was the worst thing they ever could have attempted. So yeah, I guess you, dude, it yeah, was, it was awful. Like I'd rather eat shit in front of a hundred people than do well on a Zoom show. Right. <laughs> it's, just a, it's just a weird feeling. Yeah. <laughs> I could only imagine, like, you just, like, having to talk to your monitor, and you're probably waiting for a response from somebody or a laugh, and you're not getting it. They might even find it funny, uh, but they're not going to tell you, like, and they're not going to type it in, hey, yeah. that was funny. Like, it's, um, I can only imagine. It's difficult. So, I mean, I've been trying to just keep on writing, either writing anything, just free writing, writing poetry, writing jokes, whatever it be, just write about what's going on, uh, just to keep that flow going. Um, but other than that, I haven't really performed in over a year about now and mm. going crazy with it, but I'm ready yeah. to get back on stage. So how long have you been doing, people. how long have you been doing comedy before this year of a lapse? I guess it's almost like a sabbatical if you was like uh, back was... at school. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm, I'm nervous definitely to get back on stage, uh, yeah. but it's been about, I, I was about a year and a half in before they got all locked up. Oh, so you was new, still catching yeah, your time still in, fair. still, yeah, still doing your thing, yeah. understanding how still to how to work the crowds. The stage. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it's a blast, though. I performed uh, probably a handful of times over at Comedy Works downtown in Denver. And that was the first time over there. It was the first time I performed in front of over a hundred people, and it was intense. But it was so much fun. Uh, it was so nerve wracking when you first hit the stage. You see everybody right. just staring at you, and then right. you get that first break of laughter, and then you you start flowing. Right. So, what was like one of the first premises of a joke you were thinking about before, like? Your first stage performance was it in Colorado, where you moved to for a little bit, or is it back like in the uh, New England uh, area where you had your first like show that you tried I, to? My very, my very first set was in uh, Somerville, Mass. It was on okay. my way out of New England. This is when I decided that uh, this is when I left everything behind in New Hampshire. I got, I packed up my car with whatever I could fit in there. I decided I was going to do a road trip, travel around the country, try and find a place that I enjoyed. Uh, I made my way down the East Coast. I stopped in Somerville, Mass. to see some friends on the way out, and I hit an open mic. And I got like two minutes into my set, and that was as long as I could do. It was nerve-wracking as all hell. And uh, the joke was, was about uh, – the premise was kind of about trying – Com I don't even remember exactly. It was about really trying comedy, but I, I, it's, it was such a weak joke, man. <laughs> it was so <laughs> bad. <laughs> but did you get a few, a, a few, a few laughs though, or did you get no? How did? Why did it only last two minutes? Is that the only time you I had, got, or? No, I, you usually get about five minutes on an open mic, um, but I thought I. I wrote the joke out, I tried running it through my head, and I thought it was like four or five minutes, but when I got on stage, it's a whole other story. You kind of just burn through it because you don't know that timing. 
you don't know the feeling of what a minute is, what three minutes are. Right. So I kind of burned through it. I got a couple pity laughs because I think they knew it was your first that time. same feeling that I was having on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was actually too nervous to even sign up on the list. Uh, I waited till like there was like five comics left, and I went up to the host. I said, "Yo, is it all right if I hop on right now?" And he let me get on, and uh, I tried doing it. I thought I did well because I got a couple pity laughs. I left there. Do you find it to be pity laughs, or you think they they like the joke, but it wasn't what you were expecting? If if it really hit now, the, the way they hit now, I I don't know if they were pity laughs or if it was just. They were laughing at how uncomfortable I was up there because I, I definitely was stiff as a board. As soon as that light hit me, I had the mic in my hand. <laughs> I stiffened right up. <laughs> yeah. And like but, the only thing moving was my hand shaking. It was too funny. The interesting thing is you seem like an introvert. So you actually stepping out of your shell, I feel like was truly you stepping on that mic that first day. So to me, that's beautiful. You get me? Because although we knew you in the locker room, I don't. I never saw you as the very loud personality. So it's interesting to say you stepped up to that mic to do that. You get I me? Mean? So that's beautiful because I don't know if that like I wasn't necessarily a vocal person either. I wouldn't picture myself doing a podcast. You know what I'm saying? Like so, yeah. we're kind of both in the same boat where we're like <laughs> branching, branching out. But it's more of yeah. it's like all right, let's see if we like it, and if we do it kind of enough, hopefully we get good and we'll keep going, kind of thing. You know? Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've always been really closed off and had a tight group of friends and just kind of hung out with right. them. Right. But I, I, for some reason, I've always realized I kind of thrive in being in uncomfortable situations. Got it. That makes sense. So I was just like, let's just throw myself up there, half prepared, not really knowing what I'm doing, and let's just go get this. I think the cool thing is, you, you know, to you, you probably thought the worst thing they could say is that it wasn't funny. And it's okay because it's my first time. Like, it wasn't – you didn't have the same type of pressure. Your pressure was just stepping up on stage. But for someone else, like, they felt like they had to be funny at that moment. You know what right. I mean? You're still getting your chops up. And they may never have to see you again because you're leaving town anyway. So, like, exactly. <laughs> it's perfect, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. And if anyone's ever thinking about doing it, like, no matter how much you can prepare for it, you're never prepared for that first time. Right. Not until you get that feeling of being on stage in front of people right. and actually prepare for it. No, that makes sense. So before what was your writing style then and what would your write what's your writing style now? Like what was the first thing you did to like kind of remember the premise? Like write out you wrote out the whole joke so you could memorize it? How did you do it? My first joke I tried writing out completely, tried like revising it, going through it, seeing how that went, but then that didn't work out for me. Uh, mm. Now I kind of just write down a premise, get an idea of where the cue points that I want to hit, mm. and then just try and punch it up while I'm uh, kind of on stage going with it. Or if I come up with a good punchline, I try to work to there. Um, but yeah, it's it's so weird science. Like, yeah, I don't is have it like? Any, is it like a bulletin points like you do more than like an actual premise? Like, I, I want to hit these points and I got to make sure this connects the dot somehow, kind of? Uh, a little bit like that. But okay. I mean, I'll, I'll kind of have a pretty set premise. Like, um, 
I don't know exactly. I can't, I don't have any on hand, but I'll pretty much have like, this is the way I want to go with the joke. These mm-hmm. are the points I want to hit. Um, you have to have a setup so it's clear. So everyone understands what you're going with, but then you have to hit them with some sort of surprise, really. Right. Um, and that's usually what like gets them to laugh is you, you catch them off guard. They see you going one way and you go the other. That's true. <laughs> it's, it's a different form of storytelling. That's why I'm so interested. You're my first comedian on, by the way. So like just to hear Sorry, like no. the whole concept of how you construct your story to tell things is amazing to me. Yeah, I have a, I'm more of a one-liner setup punchline kind of guy right now. Uh, storytelling mm-hmm. is real hard to get down for uh, comedy-wise. I've tried yeah. a few like story jokes, but it just feels like they drag on before I get to anything funny. Right. It's like, how do you find funniness within setting up for the bigger laugh, I guess, right? It's probably why you feel that way. Yeah. That and like it, things that can be funny to you and your friends aren't funny to everybody because they don't know your tendencies. They don't know your character. I think that comes with time when you break into the crowd that. Doesn't, the, right. So is this like your crowds or like, is it your crowds or these are like open mics right now somewhere? And that's why you don't, that's uh, why you right can't now, do your story jokes. Open mics. That makes uh, sense though, right? Open mics right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've done a handful of actually paid shows, got like five, 10 bucks here and there. And my longest set I've done is 15 minutes and that was a blast. I had a mm-hmm. lot of fun doing it, but um, I've been trying to build connections in Denver and work my way onto more shows here. But since it's been closed down, it's been hard to right. work my way into that. No, that makes sense. And I was, I'm not talking about necessarily being paid or not it's more of once you really find your audience i think then right. you can do storytelling jokes more you know like i feel like it's hard to do that when you like you're like a new guy and a new face to everyone it's like all right are you funny let's see like that's kind of the right. the energy they probably come <laughs> in with so therefore you're like all right i gotta hit every time like i can't even set up a joke i'm not even in that position yet to like set up jokes and right. like do those things that you probably will want to do eventually because I'm sure they're funny but it's like no one's going to give you the time of the day if they don't know you which sucks yeah definitely and uh, a lot of the times at open mics it's just comedians performing for other comedians right so you got half the audience just watching trying to do their jokes listening what they got going on after them heckling because they think it's funny right yeah. yeah, that's interesting. <coughs> Excuse me. So we talked about how you structured writing comedian. Okay. Um, so who are your influences when it comes to comedy, like, and just overall life right now? Uh, growing up, I was a big fan of uh, Jim Brewer was great. I always thought Dave Chappelle was always amazing. Uh Rodney Dangerfield was a big influence. He's funny. Uh, current comedians, one of my favorites, Tom Segura. Okay. Those are yeah. those are some some I'm heavy hitters. To... And do you feel like any of them? 
You play any of them fit your style though of how you do comedy right now, or like, or you're like in the mold of any of these com comedians? Because Dave is very much a storytelling uh, person at this point, but at one point he was very punchliney though too in in the beginning to me at least. Right. Um, I, I don't really feel like I I fit in any of those categories, if any, closer to the Rodney Dangerfield style where it's set up punch, set up punch. Mm -hmm. um, and he just keeps going with those. Right. But uh, I, would, I would love to work my way into being able to storytell, tell some long, longer-term style jokes like Jim Brewer and uh, Tom Segura and stuff. But yeah. I think that comes with the minutes it's, you it's get on stage, though, easy. too. Yeah. That's, like, for five minutes, you got to hit them with hit, hit, hit. You can't just have one joke for five minutes. Like, that's not, you know, that doesn't help anyone. Right. So I can only imagine. Right. Because you lose the crowd by the time you're three, four minutes in if you haven't had a laugh. Right. That makes sense. They, like, the whole the whole strategy mainly for me is when I get on stage, I try to open strong, get them on my side. And then after you kind of win them on your side, you can kind of get away with more stuff that's, that's either iffy or you're working on it and they, they'll side with you because they're like, oh, all right, he, had a good opener he's funny i'll give him that that was pretty funny and then if you end strong they remember you they're like oh he killed it at the end right i remember that guy so not so that you can main goal when i got there right so not that you necessarily um read books to become a better comedian but like is there any books that influence you to like take that leap of faith of like wanting to like just go out on the journey and say, you know what, let me just try this. Like, uh, or like something read, about read, like just going for it, like a goal of like, like a book that's like just about going for a dream or a goal. Like is there any books you've read that like made I've you feel inspired? I've read a couple books that's kind of helped me with writing comedy, but I, nothing that's really like pushed me to go and do, do it. I've always... Right. Find self inspiration to always try to be better or push myself further, try to do do more. No, that's amazing. Yeah, because for me, what made me want to write was like the book The Alchemist. It has nothing to do with writing, but it's like about a shepherd boy like going for what he thought was his, right? And what he wanted was always yeah. within him. So it's like something like that is like I guess why I asked you that question. It's like it doesn't have to even be about comedy is just like a particular book that made you realize like that could have been you in the story and the obstacle wasn't really what they talked about but like the big moral of the story is why I'm acting so right. no, that's pretty cool it's been a it's been a fun adventure so far and I keep I hope to keep down this path and keep growing and stick with it yeah. So before you told me you might even like try to move before we started recording, excuse me, you talked about possibly Texas. Um, do you know where you're thinking about? Uh, of moving right to now, or, my, or, or doing a road trip or whatever? Right. Uh, I got a couple of friends in Austin that live down there uh, that I'd like to maybe go down there, check out their comedy scene, try it out. I mean, right now, Austin is booming for the comedy branch right. because obviously Joe Rogan just moved out there. I was, there. Just, I was just about to say that. Club. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I have a cousin that lives out there that's trying to hook me up with a job 
out in Austin. So if I can land that, I would go there. But I'd be open to San, San Antonio or Houston. I visited out there, and they were fun places when I was there. Right. So what's the journey like, I guess, of, like, how do you become great at a craft you couldn't practice so far for a year? Like, what are you able to do, like, like for me, if I'm not writing, I could read. And for some reason, that helps me get better. You know, it's like game tape, you know? So, like, what's, like, your game tape yeah. as a comedian? Just trying to stay con consistent with writing, either premises, jokes, punchlines, or just any sort of writing to stay sharp with the creativity. Mm -hmm. And uh, try to re read some stories that's going on in the world, like, find satire with the life that's all this crazy <laughs> craziness that's happening so much so yeah um, that's pretty interesting too it's, right? it's hard to find a hard to find a fine line where you're not stepping on people's toes to because they're so quick to cancel out here it's crazy um, in colorado or, like or I just <laughs> yeah in colorado but in general uh, I feel like everyone's still in this cancel culture and doesn't give people a chance to try jokes that might be edgy, but they never got the opportunity to, to see if they would work. It. Right. Right. It's almost like you got to record it to yourself and then listen to it. And be like, is this, is this breaking any, any <laughs> rules? Do you mind right. saying kind of what the joke was about where people got so offended? Uh, my, the whole premise of the joke was that context matters. Uh -huh. um, so I'd open the joke up with just saying the word retard uh, with no context. And then I would get everybody real tight. I'd let that tension build. And then I'd try and break that tension with saying, if you find that offensive, that's on you because there is no context on that. All retard means is something slowing your progress and achievements and goals and growth, whatever it is. Like, um, I have a retarded penis. Or, or, no, sorry, that's not it. No, it's like, I, my joke writing is retarded due to my day job. And they didn't even let me get close to that before I, they were like, get off stage. And it's just like, come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I think it's... If you were a vet, they wouldn't even, they would let you finish the whole joke. They wouldn't even stop you for no effort. And which sucks, right? It's because, like, I'm trying to get my chops up and do these different things, like, and expand myself, but I'm being limited because y'all have feelings inside of a comedy club, which is weird because back right. in our, back when we were kids, they didn't give a fuck about anyone's feelings when it came to, like, the comedy. Like, <laughs> and it was highly offensive to no. everyone, but, like, you didn't want to be the first one to leave, like, so that's right. very, yeah, and that's like, crazy. I'm not, I'm not one to directly be offensive just to be offensive. I don't, right. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings on purpose. I just want, I write my jokes for myself, for an outlet, and I hope that whoever enjoys them enjoys them. I'm not trying to please everyone. Right. Were you able to try that joke more than once? Or it was only one time and you got taken off the stage and that was that? Um. I only tried it once out in Denver, and it got, I got taken off stage. I didn't try it again. But I originally came up with that joke when I first started comedy in uh, the Gulf Coast, like Mobile, Alabama, Pensacola, mm -hmm. Florida. That's where I started. And um, it went well over there? Yeah. Like, it kind of 
it was a little iffy. Some people, I, I think I had to work on it for sure, but they would let me try it. And I'd still get some laughs by the end of it. Right. So when you almost had it mastered here is when they told you, you know what, get it out of here. <laughs> yeah. And the worst part was like, after I got off stage, there was some guys at the bar that were like, hey, why'd you get off stage? That joke wasn't even bad. I thought it was pretty funny. And then I told them I got kicked off. Like, what? Really? <laughs> so it was, it's just weird. You know what it is? Some, some people might have children that they, uh, that they think is retarded. So when that comes up, it's, a, it's an emotional trigger for them. Right. Instead of letting you finish the joke where they could see where your context was going and be like, okay, he didn't go where I thought he was going. Thank God. Because then I would have felt some type of way, you know? Right. So people don't yeah. even give you that. But I guess, because it's like the N word. I don't want to hear that come out your mouth. So I understand. <laughs> I guess someone else <laughs> say, no, nah, that's right. not cool. But context does matter. And I, I like that premise. So you should definitely... Maybe you got to say that in the beginning just to like get them ready for it and then just say the word right. and then, and then <laughs> <go into it. laughs> right and then i kind of switched after i did the retired bit and i went to it was still the context matters i'd switch it over to the word midget like all midget means is abnormally small and then right. i just went like i have a midget penis <laughs> and right. so i put it on myself to try and break that tension and just make fun of myself. But you were going to do that regardless, though, with, like, the other word. They just didn't let you get it there with your other stuff. So that's what's crazy. So I like that yeah. you do self-deprecating things, though, because, like, that's not easy to do. It's, like, a lot of people are much, much rather make fun of someone else, but at least you make fun of yourself and maybe a few of your friends. You know, like, it's nothing crazy, yeah, at least from I, what I, I saw. But yeah, I try to make fun of myself more than anybody else because, like, you can't really get mad at me because it's me. If anybody's going right. to be mad, it should be me. Right. <laughs> How are you going to get mad at someone making fun of themselves? Okay right. Yeah. No, definitely. So how would you incorporate viewers into your your set? Do you do that? Do you, like, ask them questions and they kind of feed off their energy sometimes? Or you keep it solely on, like, what's written? And, and just tell your jokes? Uh, I'll, I'll go off a of crowd's reaction. So if, like, I get a boo or, uh, like, it's kind of like they're appalled, I'll, I'll point fun, like, point at that fact that, ooh, maybe you guys didn't like that or something silly to lighten that pressure of right. getting them mad at me. I, won't, I don't try and beret any of the audience i don't do too much crowd work outside of that but um i know there's some people that could do a whole set with just interacting with the audience right but i just feel like that's kind of a shortcoming of your actual writing ability true so how do you memorize a lot of your your, your material like do you study it on like index cards like but like what's that how do you do that because it's almost like acting like memorizing lines like a monologue so like how do you do it when I first started, I had a bunch of index cards, and I'd actually bring them up on stage with me. Um, oh. But from there, I've, I've stepped away from doing any of that. I try to memorize every all the points and important lines that I need to hit mm -hmm. with trying to add things in between to make the joke better or extend it and add more to them. Mm. Uh, and that's just... I'd be doing 
one one or two open mics a night, just repetition would get the memory of yeah. Because I know a lot of communities have like a small little notebook they keep like in their pockets and like they'll, they'll scratch something if it's really yeah. bad, like all right, that didn't go well kind of thing. <laughs> so that was interesting right. that you used index cards to like memorize your monologues and things like that. So who are your, well, I already asked that question. Um, how would you combat heckling? Like, have you ever had to deal with like a heckler and you had to like combat that with like maybe making fun of them to get them to calm down? dealt with any hecklers yet i'm a little oh. nervous about the first time i come across one uh but i i've no i've noticed through seeing other people get heckled that the crowd is on your side and not the heckler's side unless you're right. obviously doing terrible right so it's like if you entertain um, it so then they'll... usually yeah so usually you have the power to be like all right dude like everyone's here not for you or uh, right just, I, don't try and just shit all over them because then you can kind of get the crowd to turn on you mm -hmm. and it's a fine line to play is this what someone taught you when you were like doing your stand-up or is something you notice like through observation like if you don't give it that much energy people will redirect attention back on you kind of thing yeah, kind of observational. Um, I think somebody had told me that the crowd is on your side. So if you do want to attack the heckler, you're all in all rights to, and the crowd will usually side with you unless you just start to go straight hateful. Mm. But, so just try to make it light and tell them to like, shut up, dude. <laughs> right. That makes sense. So when you hammered out your first five to 10 minutes, what was the response after you worked out and started to use that material more often? Not the very first time, but like when you like really got a true five to five minute set down, what was that reaction? What was that feeling like right. to know? Like I got a good five minutes. Um, after, uh, there was a couple of weeks that I was doing like a similar five minute set with kind of shuffling in new jokes in the middle at an mm -hmm. open mic in Pensacola, Florida. And after I got it, like a pretty fine tuned five, the, the host came up to me. He's like, Hey man, I, you have some good writing. Uh, uh, would you like to do this show for me next Friday or whenever it was to do, I think it was seven minute guest spot. And I was, I was exhilarated. I was so thrilled. Um, and it was, it was a blast. I was just so happy to have made it uh, far enough to be able to use a solid five minutes or seven minutes in a show where I know it's going to work. Right. So where do you think you are now with your writing? Are you up to like a good 10 minutes of like solidified material right now? 15 minutes? Like where do you feel like you are at? I think I could do a solid 15 to 20, somewhere around there. Um, that's pretty good because that's like stand, standard for openers, right? It's like 15 to 20 minutes. Yeah. It's solid no, that's, like that's what it set is. or opening set. Right. Um, I, I don't know the terminology, so excuse me if I'm saying the wrong things. No, you're good. There's like feature sets are usually like 15 minutes, I think. And that's like mm -hmm. the guy that goes up before the headliner. Right. 
So, no, that's pretty good that you feel like you have a good 15 to 20 minutes you could do. I guess it would be amazing when you get to memorize the whole hour, right? And, like, everyone's for you. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. That would be scary, yeah. That's a lot of material to remember. Oh, but I think I think you're so dedicated by just you moving away to, like, figure this out that it's like, nothing's going to stop you. It's just a matter of time, you know? Right. So Just keep trying to just put one foot forward. That's all you can do, man. Is just put one step, one step forward, and just keep keep moving, keep it going. I had like family ask me if I wanted to do comedy in Boston, so I'd be closer to home and stuff. And I was just like, that's the reason why I didn't do comedy in Boston, because it's too close to home. I'd have too many excuses to easily go hang out with my friends, go have distractions or whatever it be. Right. Do you feel like this has been your most focus of years because of you, like, being away from, like, what you're comfortable with and, like, you have a, a clear yeah. purpose? I think it's definitely helped with that, for sure. Um, have a clear vision to what, what I'd like to do and really focus more on that, definitely. Nice. So usually what I ask my, my guest is um, – like, what's the last book you might have read, um, fiction or nonfiction? And if you could just tell us a little bit about it and what you like so far about it, if you like the book at all. All right. Uh, let me think. Uh, what was the last book I read? I was halfway through Artist's Way, which is like a creativity book to help with keeping that creativity flowing and yeah. – um, so what they give you I tips and insight? Yet. That's fine. It's kind of it's kind of helped me with uh, making sure I write every day and stay on top of that because if you don't, it, you definitely lose that some of that creativity and you have to get it back if right. you take too long off. Um, and it's also helped me realize that it's okay to go do other things with freedom otherwise go skiing go do whatever uh yeah. life experiences other it helps with creativity just, yeah yeah because you could get burnt out from staying dead focused on one thing only and never veer off of that you need some little escape from that as well no yeah that's like me i feel like i'm getting burnt out of just writing books and waiting for results to come so I'm definitely taking like a year and a half, two years off of me writing a lot, but like maybe writing blogs here and there right. to stay sharp. But like to write a book every year consistently, it's, it's been a lot. So it's like I'm about to take some time off. And since I'm releasing about seven books and two of the books by the time this comes out will be out. Um, yeah, like, okay. it, yeah, I'm definitely taking a break, even though I won't feel like it because there'll be so much yeah. material out there. But, like, for me, it would be, like, right. a real break, you know, where I'm just doing the podcast and, like, just moving forward and not just trying to live life and, like, getting new experiences. So when I'm back to writing again, I have something even better to talk about. So I totally get living your yeah. life, stay connected to your creativity for sure. Yeah. I think that's been a big help to keep going and not get too bogged down or down on yourself about these things where you're like, Oh, I'm not writing enough. I'm not coming up with jokes fast enough. I don't have mm -hmm. enough. It's just, you can easily get down on yourself way too quick. Yeah, no, absolutely. So before we head out of here, I just want to ask you, what's like one or two good tips that you can 
give to people that is trying to think of how to be creative, a creative writer as a comedian. Because even you could be a screenwriter that's funny, but it's hard to do it on stage. So like, what's like a tip of like a writing tip that you can give in the comedic space for anyone? Don't get down on yourself. Keep pushing through uh, any doubts you have. Stay writing. Um, either it doesn't matter what kind of writing, just free write, write jokes, whatever it is. Even if, if you have nothing to write about, write about what you did that day. Anything, anything to get those wheels turning right. and uh, just keep powering forward. No, thank you for that. And I really appreciate you coming on. So, usually I do a quote of the week and lyrics of the week, depending on what I think about the guests. So, a quote of the week is from Jerry Seinfeld, since I'm dealing with a comedian now, so I figured I'd do that. <laughs> so the quote is, a bookstore is one of the only pieces of physical evidence we have that people are still thinking. And Jerry Seinfeld is very much of a thinker comedian, so that makes sense coming from him, that type of a, a quote. And then for um, lyrics of the week, I picked out Gym Class Heroes, Seven Weeks. Because I feel like whenever I think of comedians, I think they got to do like the craziest road trips, like just to feel like, just to like make their living. You see, you hear about them always like booking up their weekends to like doing 10 to 15 shows in a weekend. Like that's a lot. So I picked out yeah. the lyrics of the week from Gym Class Heroes called Seven Weeks, which is about them like kind of traveling and like dealing with whatever's coming up on the road. So, so the verse goes like this, tired boys with weird eyes, exposing imperfections to the public eye. We're perfect. I'm like this, even if we don't look back again. I like these hotels, passports, random bag checks, daydreams of love affairs that I haven't had yet. Touchdown, baggage claim, new town, different dame. Same clothes, seven days when damn. Ooh, damn, I need things to change. And it's a lifestyle I wouldn't recommend. Walling out on a level Nick Cannon couldn't comprehend. F out of here, we made a lot of friends and even more enemies, some of which were genuine and others just pretend to be. Soft raving baby, life's lovely, even when the great rain clouds right, right above me. The girl's texting me talking about getting all cuddly. Could you paint a pretty picture, but the frame is so ugly. So if you heard the whole song, I, I'm sure you probably heard that song before, I imagine. And with that song, it's just just the whole idea about road tripping. It just doesn't sound like the most fun of life. And I feel like you doing your own driving to like hit all these towns, although you might have enjoyed the experience. I'm sure in the moment, there was moments of frustration. They're like, oh, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> Why did I decide to do this? So I just wanted to For sure. dedicate that, that, that verse to you because I can only imagine doing that for myself. Right on. Thank you. No, no problem, man. It's definitely, sometimes you sit there, wait three, four hours just to do five minutes mm. and then go home at one in the morning. So it can be a struggle so, to right. push through that, but just keep reminding yourself why you do it. And it's, there's, there's got to be light at the end of the tunnel somewhere. Absolutely. So Kyle, I want to say thank you again for uh, doing this. Uh, if you could give everyone your social media and, and stuff. That'd be great. All right, yeah. Um, I think my social, my Facebook is just Kyle Liberté. My uh, Instagram, I think, is 
Kyle J. The Liberté. I don't have a Twitter or anything. Did I always say your name wrong? I'm so sorry. It's not. How do you? How do you want to no, say? No, it's it? all right. I I was saying it wrong for 28 years. When I finally got on stage, I listened to a YouTube video of some lady pronouncing my last name, and that's how I finally got it down. Um, I'm trying to oh. actually pronounce it the proper like French way of La Liberté. There's like you can roll an R into it a little more, but I don't. La Liberté. <laughs> I'm not that oh, well. French. Right. Yeah. So you're French from your dad's side, I suppose? Because that's an interesting name. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, French on my dad's side and Italian on my mom's side. Nice. Because I kept on saying liability, and then that's just what you say it now. I'm like, yo, I've been saying his name wrong this whole time. <laughs> Dude, it took me 28 years to say it right. No, I, okay. So, <laughs> Kyle, thank you again for doing this. This has been Americana Quo, writer to writer. Take care, guys. Thank you so much. Okay.